Please turn with me in God's holy words to Philippians and chapter number 2. Philippians chapter number 2. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the first eight verses of Philippians chapter 2. Verses 1 to 8 reads as follows. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind that each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Amen. And our title for our message this morning is this, Christ-like love. Christ-like love. For most of us, none of us want to be thought of as hateful, do we? If people thought that of us, we wouldn't like it. We all want, in some way, shape, or form, to be thought of as loving. I suppose you've heard in different parts of the world, especially here in Scotland and in other countries, the, the so-called hate crimes. The so-called hate crimes. And they scare many people because when people hear this, it's like, well, I don't want to be seen as hateful. I want to be seen as loving. So that they, they do scare people into doing whatever the government wants them to do. If something seems hateful to people, it seems wrong and there's a sense of truth that we want to live in a fair and loving society and it all sounds great but is it is it possible to love everything and everyone is it possible to tolerate and embrace everything it's not even possible is it if you love the jews and you're reading through history you're going to hate the Holocaust. If you love children and you see a news story where there's a news story about neglect and abuse of children, you're going to hate it. If you love and tolerate all kinds of sin, you're going to hate the law that tells you it's wrong. Isn't that true? We to love one thing is really to hate what is the opposite of that. To love light is to hate darkness. Our world doesn't understand love, does it? 
And it's not just our world. You'll see often as well, do we understand love? That love is not just our personal preferences or things that we like or even dislike necessarily. And this can happen, yes, with young people, but also with older people as well. Do you this morning, believers in Jesus Christ, do you understand love? Do you understand what it's like to be loving? Not according to the world. They'll have a very different, different definition of what that is. Often, if you read these hate crimes and you look for a definition, okay, hate crime, well, what is this? There's no definition. It's simply you just offend somebody. You say something that someone doesn't like. It's a blank sheet that someone can write in their own understanding on. But while this is happening in the world, are we in danger of doing the same thing? Are we in danger? You see, friends, we should all seek to be loving, shouldn't we? But according to whose definition and what definition? Is it with a Christ-like love? And with a love that no matter how much you endure and suffer in this world, you're willing to continue to love. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1 is suffering. And this may seem like a strange thing when you read through the, this letter to the Philippians because it's an epistle of joy. This is what it's known for, joy and there's love here. And, but he's in bonds. He's suffering affliction. And he's telling them also in chapter 1, verse 29, for, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. What often struggles in our hearts and our minds when we suffer love? We, we struggle to love others. But friends, we're called to love with a Christ-like love. No matter the cost. And it is going to be difficult at times. Just as Christ did. And it's a high calling indeed. Our first point that we're going to look at as we look at these eight verses is this. The source of love. Verse number one. The source of love. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Spirit of Almighty God. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ... If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. It can often be too easy and even quite unhelpful just to say to people who are suffering and going through difficulty, as many in the first century did, Christians, uh, Christianity was spreading across the world, many knew places and they didn't know what to think of this new religion as they saw it and so there was much suffering and persecution and it's it's easy just to say well we'll get over it or or have a list of things do this do that here is the truth and just do it now if only it were so easy to teach the truth either to our children or to others that we meet 
we wouldn't need as much help, would we? With the truth, if it was so easy. Friends, often we know what the right thing is to do, don't we? But we struggle for the motivation, you could say, the admiration of Christ and the desire to do what is right. So often we do know intellectually what the right thing is to do. And sometimes we lack the desire to be like Christ. We can be too content to remain in our own sin rather than put it to death. But what do we need to find contentment in? Christ. If there be any consolation in Christ, if there be any, another way of you could say this is in any exhortation or any encouragement in Christ, if there's anything to alleviate our misery or anything to bring refreshment to our souls in Christ, the idea of consolation here in our text in verse 1 in Christ has got the idea of something that something or someone that moves us to change and brings relief and comfort to us. When we look at Christ, when we see him, when we meditate upon him, does he bring comfort to your soul? Does he move you in some way? The more you look upon him by faith, does it make you want to be more like him? And so Paul isn't just saying, look, you've got to keep loving. It doesn't matter how hard it gets. you just got to do it. This is not the way Paul argues. He's bringing to them the greatest, most beautiful motivation that anyone could have. Looking unto Jesus. And the more you look at him, the more we will wish to be like him. In Song of Solomon, chapter 1, and verse 4. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, and verse number 4. So speaking of the church's love unto Christ. Verse 4, draw me. We will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. And you, you just see throughout the Song of Solomon this joyful, exciting love that takes place between Christ and his bride, the church. And Song of Solomon 7 and verse 10 as well. Song of Solomon chapter 7 and verse 10. I am my beloved's. And his desire is toward me. I am my beloved's. I belong to Christ. See, and Paul, after telling them in chapter number 1, there's going to be suffering. It's going to be difficult. He talks about his own difficulties. He says to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He doesn't know if he'll be able to live much longer in the present situation that he's in, in prison. But what is he telling them to look to? 
if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort in love. A love for Christ that moves us away from our sin, moves us away from focusing on whatever difficulty we're facing. We all have difficulties. They could be aches and pains. It could be health problems. Emotional problems, stress at work, stress in the family, loneliness, all sorts of things that can be causing you grief. And Paul brings them to Christ, the source of love. You that are married here this morning, I pray that you have a blessed marriage. But you'll know this by experience, that the love of your husband or wife, it changes you, doesn't it? Those shows of affection that you have one toward another, they move your spouse and you change each other. You bless each other. It comforts when your spouse is near it also comforts your children to see a loving relationship between husband and wife, between their father and their mother. That brings comfort, love. When you see love being displayed, Christ-like love, it is so comforting. But how much more does Christ love his bride? The greatest comfort of all. Ephesians 5 and verse 25 Ephesians 5, verses 25 and 26. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, as Christ loved the church. Is there comfort in this love? Is there consolation? Does it relieve this affliction? Whatever you're going through. And there can be all sorts of afflictions that we face. That when you see him as lovely, it brings relief onto your soul. The source of love. That you are moved away from focusing on your difficulties. To see him. A bit like Peter when he's walking on the water. As soon as he takes his eyes off Christ, he sees the depths of the water. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. But perhaps you're here this morning and you have grown cold in your Christian walk. And this can happen to the, a sincere believer in Jesus Christ. You may be going through a period of time where you don't see this comfort of love anymore. And you haven't for some time. And this can and does happen. It can happen often with suffering. You focus on your suffering. And coldness will come when you are away from the source of heat. You ever come home after a long day's work and you're pretty cold. And you open the front door and the heating's been on a while. And that lovely, warm feeling you get when you open the door and you're near the fire. We need to be close to the source of love in order to display love ourselves.
We can't do it in our own strength. If we try to do it in our own strength, we will fail. And to display Christ-like love, we must be focused and looking to and finding comfort and consolation. And look at these other things that Paul writes. If any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, when we see it displayed around us, you know that if you're around loving Christians, sharing sweet union communion one with another, helping and encouraging one another, that also encourages you, doesn't it? When you see Christians who love each other and care for each other, it's, it's, it's contagious almost. Every stream, every river has its source. And for this love to flow, it must come from the source of love that is Christ. Our second point this morning is this, the stream of love. The stream of love. Verse number two. Paul writes, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. This love flows from Christ. And what does it bring? It brings unity. It says here, that ye be like-minded. Or another way to say that is, you think the same thing. Now, Paul's not saying that you think the same thing on absolutely everything, but on the things that are important, on the things about Christ, on the things that make up love. And it's a joyful thing, this unity. It's a thing that we should all strive for, that we would not just, we can all get along with each other. I have many dear Christian friends who we wouldn't see eye to eye in certain creeds and confessions but still love them dearly. But we should strive for this unity that we are like-minded because then there's greater love and fellowship one toward another. And this is why creeds and confessions are so important. I'm sure you might have read or heard of at least the Westminster Confession of Faith. And the word creed basically means I believe. Here's what I believe. A confession of faith may be many chapters, but it can also be one sentence. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's a confession of faith. And it can also be much longer than that. To state what you believe publicly. See, we all have a belief. The question is, is it the same one? Are we all like-minded? Can we work together, moving in the same direction now every office bearer and elder must hold to the Westminster Confession of Faith but you may not become an office bearer but these things are truth and as a church you should encourage others to look into these things that see these things are based upon the word of God we may think that these things are not important. But friends, they are. That we, we're like-minded. This was a joyful thing for Paul. Having the same love. It's not just about filling our minds with information. It's also about loving the truth. 
and then applying the truth to our lives. Head, hands, and heart. Why? So that we believe the same things, that we think the same things about Christ. I'm sure you'll agree that it's important that we believe that Jesus is true God. And you say, well, doesn't everybody believe that? Not necessarily. And it's important that we also believe that he's true man, that he suffered, that he died. Doesn't everybody believe that? Not necessarily. And that he's one person. There had been those in church history that believed there was almost two people joined together. So it is very important what we believe, that we believe that he is as revealed in the scriptures. This all flows from love. These things are not necessarily things of the mind purely. Often they are rejected if they are rejected at all because of a, a dislike for them. Heresies, false doctrine, apostasies, departure from the truth. It comes from a departure from the love of Christ. You see, and I've seen this on different occasions, sometimes you'll see Protestant ministers and they'll end up in the Roman Catholic Church. And you wonder, well, how has that happened? Or you'll see someone leaving a, a good denomination going towards a more liberal an unbelieving denomination. The central issue is whether not whether they're, they have the mental ability for these things. It's an issue of love. Fulfill ye my joy, Paul writes, that ye be like-minded, having the same love. Friends, it is not just enough that you know the information in your minds. Do you love it? Do you love who Jesus reveals himself to be? Or would you rather him be someone different? Do you love who God reveals himself to be? Infinite, eternal, most loving, unchanging and unchangeable. Or perhaps you would prefer a God who changes, as many have done in recent times. It's an issue of love, friends. Christ-like love draws us towards the truth. And some of us have more abilities than others. Some of us labor in various parts of the body in different ways. But a love for Christ, friends, will draw you toward the truth and draw you away from idols. Do you know the truth? Do you love the truth? See, if we don't love the truth, we won't follow it. Why would we follow it if we didn't love it? And this thinking the same way, this having the same like-mindedness, it was a great source of joy for the apostles, for Paul the apostle here, but also for John, 1 John chapter 1. 1 John and chapter 1. And the first four verses of 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, which we have seen and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and declared unto you, 
that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you. And these things, he's writing of a belief. He's writing of a truth, of thinking the right things about the Lord. These things we write unto you, that your joy may be full. John wants those people who are reading this to be persuaded of these things are true as well, that their joy may be full. And also 2 John, 2 John and chapter 1 and verse 12. Verse number 12 of 2 John. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. Our joy may be full. And John is writing of doctrine of truth that they would be united in the truth. This is the, this is the stream of of love that flows from the source of love that is the Lord Jesus Christ. A like-mindedness. And when you see, friends, a departure from the truth, it's not like mm, he hasn't heard this good argument that I've heard the other day. He probably has. The people who often depart from the truth, they may have read ten times more than you have. The question is not, pure head knowledge alone often the issue is love a love for christ of being the same love being of one accord and one mind and we've got to love the truth and we've got to love him who is the love who is the truth the way and the life our third point this morning is this the scandal of love number three the scandal of love so the source of love the stream of love and number three, the scandal of love. Verses three and four. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And we speak of Christ-like love. And in many ways, you may not have picked this up, but Paul is saying something that is very controversial Dare I say even scandalous to the flesh. Don't put yourself first. And that is controversial, especially in our day when we are told left, right, and center to love yourself and to put yourself first. This is not a love for self. Today in the world, you'll hear it all the time. Now, we must also balance this with, there is a type of self-love that we do need to have. We feed ourselves. We benefit from having our breakfast this morning. We read the Bible. There's a type of self-love in that. But the type of self-love, which is, you could say, narcissism, where we look within ourselves and going, I'm so amazing. I'm fantastic. I find so much delight in myself. Have you ever met these people? Friends, I hope that is not you. The love that we are to have is to be primarily for others and not for ourselves. It's to be primarily for God. 
And as sinners, we struggle with that. It's a love that looks within itself and finds only poverty of spirit and it mourns. When you look within yourself, to be a loving person, you're going to look within yourself and mourn of your poverty of spirit. Jesus even said it in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4 in the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 4. <coughs> Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Comforted. If you mourn over your poverty of spirit, if you look within yourself and only find reasons to despair, blessed are you. Blessed are you. And this is the scandal of these verses. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, through self-pride and boasting. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. To have a higher opinion of other people than you do of yourself. We are to delight in the Lord and his holiness. And when we look at a believer in Jesus Christ, we're to love them. We're to see them as the Lord sees them. In and through Jesus Christ. In and through that lens of perfect love revealed in Christ. We're to love his law. And the law of God, the law of God is this. To love the Lord your God, all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the first table of the law. And the second table of the law is this. To love your neighbor as yourself. It is not self-seeking. It is not you first. It is you second or third or fourth. It is you last. You put others before yourself. Verse 4, look not every man to his own things, but every man to the things of others. It is not to be selfish. And once we begin to be selfish and we think about our own things, and it's so easy to do, friends, and we all do it. Selfish ambition. We put ourselves first. And what will happen when you put yourself first and your own interest first, brotherly love, Christ-like love, will come last. And it's often the way, isn't it? Paul will argue, he'll give you a motivation. Here's why we need to do this. Look at Jesus. And then out of this, look at the wonderful things that will happen. Being like-minded toward one another. But here are the things it is not. It's important that we also point out things that are not. People who are self-interested will always think that they're loving. They'll actually think that they're the most loving people in the room. Because they delight in themselves. We struggle with this because we are sinners. Husbands, put the needs of your wives before your own needs. Now, I don't mean compromise the truth. The law of God is to be observed in your home. But put the needs of your wife before your own needs. Wives, put the needs of your husbands before your own. And I say needs. 
not wants and desires, needs. Children, you are not to come first. If your parents are teaching you that you're not the center of the universe, be thankful to the Lord for that. You do not come first. It is important to learn to be humble and to be thankful for the things that we have. We are not the most important thing in the universe, any of us. The Lord is. Everything depends upon God, not upon us. And we see as well, if you look through the Bible, why does God hate pride? The devil, didn't he fall in pride? His heart was lifted up. He saw his own beauty. And friends, we talk about needs of others. What is the greatest need any of us have? Salvation. Do you know people who don't know Jesus? How can you meet their needs? How can you think of the needs of others rather than your own? Share the gospel with them. There may be other ways you can help them. Absolutely, and please do. But we're saying that it is we're here as servants. We are here not to please ourselves, but to be like our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And our final and fourth point is this, the sight of supreme love. The sight of supreme love. So we've looked at the source the stream, the scandal, and number four, the sight of supreme love. And, and from verses five down to verse eight, we see the most perfect example of love. We've seen in verses three and four the big, great struggle that we'll have. Look, not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. But let us now think of the most perfect example. Now, Jesus is more than just an example. He is Savior, he is Lord, he is King. But he is also the supreme, most beautiful example of love that has ever been seen upon the face of the earth. Verse number five. Let this mind be in you, which, also, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is the mind that we're to have which was also in Christ Jesus. And then Paul goes on to explain what he means. Verse number six, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And verse number seven, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. A loving mind, a loving heart, a loving hands and loving feet, the Lord Jesus Christ, his life. That's what it looks like. We all fall short, but that is the standard of Christ-like love. Oh yes, we all fall short, but we must aim for the target. You may be playing darts and you may always miss but friends, your, your aim is going to get far worse if you don't aim for the target. We fall short, but we look to the one who is that perfect example. He is our king. He is our savior. He is the supreme example of love. 
And man, mere men, we've been created of the dust of the earth. We find it a scandal to say, not me first. We find it a difficulty. Verses 3 and 4, look not every man on his own things. It needs to be said because we struggle with this. But Jesus, who is eternally begotten of the Father, unchanging, unchangeable in his divine nature, glorious, never changing in his glory, but for a time veils the outward manifestation of his glory, humbles himself, the eternal God humbles himself, comes into this world ever radiant, ever glorious, but he takes on himself the form of a servant. It's the most astonishing, one of the most astonishing verses in the entire Bible, this. The eternal God himself, never ever ceasing to be God in any way. Not when he was a baby in his mother's womb. When he was in his mother's womb, as, as God, he filled both heaven and earth. He maintained and sustained all things, still omnipresent, all-knowing in his divine nature, but in his humanity, he grew, he developed, and he learned. You say, I don't understand that. Well, join the club. Many of us do not understand these things. These are things to leave us in awe of him. But this is the most wonderful thing because he, as this glory, as the second person of the Trinity, comes into this world, assumes human flesh. The infinite God, without limit, assumes flesh, which has a limit. He got tired. He wept. He suffered. God in his divine nature cannot suffer. But he assumed human flesh that could suffer. So he humbled himself. And finite beings such as us, we struggle with this. But he came into the world and showed us what love was. What love is. This word here, he made himself of no reputation. Literally, this is, he emptied himself, but he never stopped at any point being God. But veiled, covered the outward manifestation of his glory and came in the form of a servant. Friends, if he's willing to serve, are you? In whatever capacity the Lord has for you, the lowest jobs. He humbled himself unto death. He was in the grave. Yes, he rose again from the dead, but he, he humbled himself unto death. Is there anything too low for you to do? As a follower of Jesus Christ. If we wish to be loving. Do you wish to be loving? It is. You, if you wish to be loving. You also wish to humble yourself. And to say. Lord wherever you lead me. He wasn't. When he was upon the earth. They weren't what he expected them to be. 
they were expecting this king to come in in the first century and remove the Romans, this occupying force, from Judea and the surrounding regions and bring, and bring back the kingdom. They were thinking very earthly of these things. And the idea that he was coming to suffer and die? Peter especially really struggled with this and Jesus had to say to him, get thee behind me, Satan. None of us in our flesh want to suffer. None of us think, ooh, suffering, that sounds fun. None of us want to suffer. But are you willing to suffer? In following the Lord, are you willing to suffer? Jesus prayed in Gethsemane. If it be thy will, O God, let this cup pass from me. Not my will, but thine be done. Christ was willing. Are you? And we will struggle with this. We will. <clears throat> Following Christ is to follow the law of God as he did. Willing to suffer. If he loved me, Jesus says, John 14, 15, keep my commandments. If you want to see someone who is loving, you will see someone who's keeping the law of God. Now, I know we have a, a very often negative view of that. No, I'm not talking about an external keeping of the law of God and a showy, external, look how much like I'm like the Puritans or something like that. No, no, someone who with their their head, their heart, and their hands, humbly, seeing that they fall short themselves, but yet they're applying the truth to their lives. That's what it means to keep the law of God. In conclusion, friends, do you wish to be loving? Do you wish to be a loving husband, a loving wife? Children, do you wish to be a loving son, a loving daughter? Do you wish to be a loving brother or sister to those who you're in the same house with? I'm sure you do want to be a loving person. The greatest, most wonderful example has been given to us right here. And he came to serve. He came to suffer. See, Paul knew when he was writing to the Philippians, he's telling them all these things, all these joyful things, all these wonderful, consoling things. But he knew that they would also suffer. If they're going to follow God, if you, friends, if you're going to follow the Lord in this world, you will suffer. You will suffer because of it. It may cost you promotion in your work. It may cost you friends. It may cost your family. And it may be just like Jesus Christ, it may cost you your life. I do, not, I do not know what the future holds. But to believe on him is to also suffer for him. And to be willing to suffer for him and to follow him no matter where he leads is the most loving. That is what Christ-like love is. When the church is on fire for the love of Christ. She doesn't mind. How much she endures. But that her king. 
is exalted, no matter the cost, no matter where it brings us. Amen. Let us pray before Almighty God. <clears throat> Glorious and heavenly King, Almighty God and Father, we rejoice in thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is full of grace and truth, who is most loving, most kind. And we thank thee for reconciliation found in thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, pardon us for our many sins. Forgive us for when we have been drawn away from thee through selfish ambition. Bring us to thee to meditate upon thy Son, to love him. And may we see a blessed unity among the church of Jesus Christ, both in Scotland, England, Northern Ireland, Republic of Ireland. We pray, Lord God, that throughout these islands, that the glory of the Lord would cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. We pray, Lord God, that we would display in our own lives, however imperfectly, a Christ-like love. May we look this day to the one who is love, who displayed love, who humbled himself even unto death, to death at the cross. Forgive our many sins as we look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please turn with me in your Psalters once more to Psalm 18. Psalm number 18. And verses 1 to 5. Verses 1 to 5 of Psalm 18. To the chief musician, a Psalm of David. The servant of the Lord who spake unto the Lord the words of the song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies, from the hand of Saul. And he said, Thee will I love, O Lord, my strength. My fortress is the Lord, my rock, and he that doth to me deliverance afford. Let us sing to God's praise, verses 1 down to the end of verse number 5. He will I love, O Lord, my strength, my fortress is the
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Amen.